chapter eight of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain rousseau's educational theories adolescence emile book four a warmth within the breast would melt the freezing reason's colder part and like a man in wrath the heart stood up and answered i have felt tennyson in memoriam in my dealing with my child my latin and greek my accomplishments and my money stead me nothing but as much soul as i have avails if i am wilful he sets his will against mine one for one and leaves me if i please the degradation of beating him by my superiority of strength emerson it is the misfortune of all those people who despise or undervalue patient research and careful reasoning from the same that when they undertake to write they are forced to substitute for the true arrangements of science specious schemes drawn from their own undisciplined imaginations it was owing to such a misfortune that rousseau was led to adopt the neat and pretty formula that before the age of puberty the human being having no sympathetic imagination is guided entirely by selfish or egoistic instincts and that only after that and through the physical and emotional changes consequent upon it he begins to manifest social instincts these he thinks are awakened by the imagination and the imagination which enables us to go beyond ourselves and identify ourselves with others springs up with the sexual instinct that rousseau should favour this view is intelligible enough so portentous and all-pervasive was the part played by the sexual passion in his own life that it may fairly be said to have extended to every human relation which had any attraction for him a relation without something of this meant nothing to him this is the secret of his aversion to society whose nobler relations have nothing to do with sexuality and the theory itself is obtrusively untrue not only is man by nature a political animal but almost from the dawn of consciousness the child shows social sympathies and gives evidence of lively imaginations very small children love their brothers sisters and playmates and grieve when separated from them their attachment to their mothers and nurses is often deep and genuine footnote i knew a child of four who cried bitterly because someone had said that his nurse a very plain almost grotesque old woman was not handsome End of footnote. nor only so but they learned quite early to understand social relations and to make moral distinctions the letter may not always be correct but that has nothing to do with the matter many children at five or six have very tender consciences and are inconsolable when they think that they have done wrong though they have no punishment to fear footnote rousseau speaking of himself at the age of seven says i had no idea of things though all the feelings were already known to me i had conceived nothing i had felt everything and the imaginary misfortunes of my heroes drew from me a hundred times more tears in my childhood than even my own have ever made me shed confessions book one surely there is no lack of sympathy or imagination here End of footnote. the chief aim of education during the period of adolescence is to perfect reason by feeling footnote 
this completely inverts the order of fact feeling is primitive reason merely makes distinctions in feeling the world itself is only a complex of feelings distinguished and analyzed by reason itself inherent in feeling End of footnote. when the sexual feelings have begun to stir but not having yet found or concentrated themselves upon their proper object go out through imagination to all sentient beings indiscriminately the time has come for the development and training of the social emotions footnote emotion is that residue of primitive desiderant feeling pleasure and pain which has not been differentiated by perceptive or, or active organs but which naturally connects itself with the feelings particularized by these after they are formed End of footnote. friendship compassion sympathy etc in the first place every care is to be taken lest the sexual feelings should at once find their proper object and through imagination concentrate themselves upon it and rousseau has some sensible remarks upon the way to prevent this if they should at once find their object the growing youth will in all likelihood become a selfish sensualist cruel thoughtless and brutal and never develop the social emotions at all footnote this was precisely rousseau's own case here he could speak from bitter experience and the sinner is by no means the worst preacher against sin End of footnote if they do not there will be an abundant overflow of warm friendliness a young man reared in simplicity is carried by the first movements of nature toward tender and affectionate passions his compassionate heart is moved by the sufferings of his kind he starts with delight when his comrade comes back to him his arms are able to find caressing embraces his eyes to shed tears of tender emotion he feels shame when he incurs displeasure and regret when he causes offence if the heat of his burning blood makes him quick impatient angry the next moment all the goodness of his heart returns in the effusiveness of his repentance he weeps he sobs over the wound he has caused with his own blood he would be glad to redeem that which he has shed all his anger dies out all his pride is humble before the feeling of his fault if he has offended himself at the height of his fury an excuse a word disarms him he forgives the wrongs done him by others with the same good heart with which he repairs those he does to others in an age when gush embracing weeping and fainting were fashionable such a youth no doubt seemed in the highest degree admirable footnote hume who had no superfluity of emotion speaking of a scene with rousseau writes i assure you i kissed him and embraced him twenty times with a plentiful effusion of tears i think no scene of my life was ever more affecting burton life of hume End of footnote such a youth no doubt seemed in the highest degree admirable he would hardly be the ideal of to-day among men of germanic blood rousseau sums up the whole of human wisdom in the use of the passions in two rules one to feel the true relations of man both in the species and in the individual two to order all the affections of the soul in accordance with these relations only by following these does man become moral with a view to this rousseau lays down three maxims viz one it is not in the power of the human heart to put itself in the place of those who are happier than we but only of those who are more to be pitied two we pity in others only the sufferings from which we do not think ourselves safe three the pity which we feel for others ills is not measured by the amount of those ills but by what we suppose they suffer from them it might easily be shown that these maxims are untrue but they are used by rousseau to justify him in directing his pupils newly awakened social sympathies to the sufferings rather than to the joys of humanity to the poor and oppressed rather than to the rich and overweening 
and this furnishes him an opportunity of which he makes masterly use to compare the world of wealth and fashion with the world of poverty and simplicity greatly to the advantage of the latter he concludes that emile must be removed from cities where fashion immodesty and luxury contribute to sexual precocity and corruption and taken to the country to develop slowly in simplicity here he is still to be caged guarded and duped if in spite of all precautions the passions prove incontrollable he is to be taken to a hospital and shown the physical effects of unbridled lust in their worst form at the same time every effort must be made to direct the young man's affections into broader and more peaceful channels his tutor hitherto so rigid representing necessity must now become his intimate friend and strive to call out his affection for both himself and others under his guidance emile must study society through men and men through society beginning with the study of the human heart in this process he will be able to distinguish between the real and indestructible equality due to nature and the chimerical and vain equality found in society in which the many are always sacrificed to the few and public interests to private and the specious names of justice and subordination always serve as instruments of violence and weapons of iniquity but in order that such study may not render him misanthropic and pessimistic he must use other experiences besides his own and be made acquainted with worthy people his surroundings must be such that he shall think well of those who live with him and become so well acquainted with the world as to think everything that is done in it bad let him know says rousseau that man is naturally good let him feel it let him judge his neighbour by himself but let him see how society depraves and perverts men let him find in their prejudices the source of all their vices let him be brought to esteem each individual but let him despise the multitude let him see that all men wear pretty nearly the same mask but let him also know that there are faces fairer than the masks that cover them his personal experience may be widened and corrected by the study of history footnote much of what rousseau says on the subject of history and the study of it is truly admirable and deserves the most careful consideration on the part of educators his estimate of herodotus thucydides xenophon caesar livy tacitus etc is entirely correct End of footnote. and especially of ancient history which is simpler and truer than modern as well as by the reading of well-written biographies such as those of the inimitable plutarch but after all the best and most effective way of guiding the affections of a young man and of making him acquainted with men is to engage him in active benevolence kindly sentiments and noble words which children learn at school are impotent compared with the experience that comes of kindly acts direct your pupil says rousseau to all good actions that are possible for him let the interest of the poor be always his interest let him aid them not only with his purse but with his care let him serve them protect them and devote his time to them let him become their agent he will never again in all his life fill so noble a place without troubling himself about the epithets which the public may apply to him he will do whatever he knows to be useful and good he knows that his first duty is toward himself that young people must be diffident circumspect in their behaviour respectful to their elders reticent and discreet in talking without occasion modest in things indifferent but bold in well-doing and courageous in speaking the truth footnote by what process the animal self-centred emile of sixteen becomes the bold philanthropist of eighteen rousseau says he is not bound to tell us and we never find out but the new emile if he could be made a reality 
is certainly a most admirable creature and deserves all the encomiums of his maker End of footnote. to prevent pity from degenerating into weakness it must be generalized and extended to the whole human race then we yield to it only in so far as it is in accord with justice because of all the virtues justice is the one that contributes most to universal human well-being both from reason and for our own sake we must have pity on our race still more than on our neighbour and it is a great cruelty toward men to have pity upon the wicked in this way emile acquires the two great virtues of humanity and justice both are generalized pity footnote of course this justice always remains an individual and subjective thing a mere principle of knight errantry and cannot do otherwise until it is embodied in a state capable of giving it universal effect plato showed this in his republic but rousseau hated states End of footnote. rousseau feels that his new ideal may seem impossible or fantastic to most people who will say to him nothing of what you suppose exists young people are not made that way they have such and such passions they do this and that to such he replies just as if one were to deny that a pear tree is ever a large tree because we see only dwarfs in our gardens there is still one more influence which may now be brought to bear to calm the passions and give them beneficent direction and that is religion of this great subject no mention has thus far been made it has played no part in emile's early education in recommending its introduction at the present stage rousseau gives his reasons for excluding it before the most cogent of these is that it could not with any effect have been introduced earlier because the concepts with which it deals are unintelligible to the child he blames locke for maintaining that spirits should be studied before bodies and declares that this is the method of superstition and only serves to establish materialism since in trying to think spirits children think only bodies ghosts a spirit means but a body both to the common people and to children every child who believes in god is therefore necessarily an idolater or at least an anthropomorphist and when once the imagination has seen god the understanding rarely conceives him and even if we could impart to the child the notions current in philosophy could make him think a single substance combining in itself the incompatible attributes of extension and thought we should not be much near the mark or reach any comprehension of the theological ideas of creation annihilation ubiquity eternity omnipotence and those of the divine attributes footnote here rousseau shows some slight knowledge of the philosophies of descartes and spinoza who held extension and thought to be incompatible this is so far from being true that extension apart from thought is utterly inconceivable as is also duration End of footnote. but not only are the conceptions of religion beyond the reach of a child many of its teachings are apt to lead to the most fatal results we must believe in god in order to be saved this dogma wrongly understood is the principle of bloody intolerance and the cause of all those vain teachings which aim a mortal blow at human reason by accustoming it to satisfy itself with words to be sure there is not a moment to be lost when eternal salvation is to be won but if it can be obtained by the mere repetition of certain words i do not see what hinders us from peopling heaven with jackdaws and magpies as well as with children what does the child who professes the christian religion believe what he conceives and he conceives so little of what you say to him that if you tell him the contrary he will adopt it with equal readiness the faith of children and many men is an affair of geography are they to be rewarded for being born in rome rather than in mecca when a child says he believes in god it is not in god that he believes 
he believes tom or dick who tells him that there is something which is called god since a child cannot believe in god he cannot be punished for not doing so reason tells us that a man is punishable only for the sins of his will and that invincible ignorance can never be imputed to him as a crime opinion triumphs in the matter of religion more than in aught else but seeing that we set out to shake off its yoke in everything and to allow it no place for authority in what religion shall we rear a meal to what sect shall we assign the man of nature the answer it seems to me is very simple we shall assign him to no sect but we shall put him in a position to select that which the best use of his reason may lead him to rousseau now undertakes to give an account of the religion of nature or reason but instead of this really gives us his own beliefs which sprang not from reason but from tradition sentiment and desire moreover instead of setting these forth in his own name he puts them into the mouth of a humble and unfortunate savoyard vicar whose traits are drawn from two men whom he had actually known the savoyard vicar's confession of faith though it would now be considered a very harmless production made a great noise at the time of its appearance and brought down upon rousseau the odium and persecution of the whole religious world of france and switzerland it is nothing more or less than an attempt to prove what some twenty years later kant borrowing from rousseau called the three postulates of the pure reason god freedom and immortality supposed to be the essentials of natural religion rousseau had been both a catholic and a protestant had heard his father tell about his experiences with the moslems in constantinople and had listened to the negative teachings of voltaire and encyclopedists the result was that while sectarianism with its exclusive dogmas lost all meaning and authority for him he still wished to retain what listening to his heart he was fain to consider the essentials of religion and did his best to prove them true his proofs however have no validity in so far as they can be called proofs at all they are mainly drawn from the writings of dr samuel clark died in seventeen twenty nine but in reality they are mere feelings and desires translated into thoughts the vicar is made to say impenetrable mysteries surround us on all sides footnote the greatest mystery of all is how any one can know this End of footnote. they are above the sensible region as a means of piercing them we think we have intelligence and have only imagination through this imaginary world every one clears the path that seems good to him no one can know whether his own leads to the goal nevertheless we try to penetrate and to know everything the only thing we do not know how to do is to be ignorant of what we cannot know footnote one in these sentences we have the germs both of kantian criticism and of huxleyan agnosticism End of footnote. the first result of these reflections was that i learnt to limit my inquiries to what interested me immediately to remain in profound ignorance of all the rest and not even to take the trouble to doubt except about things which it was important for me to know footnote good but what is important for us to know End of footnote moreover i realized that the philosophers so far from delivering me from my useless doubts would only multiply those that tormented me without settling any of them i therefore took another guide and said let us consult the inner light it will not lead me so far astray as they do footnote they tell us he says elsewhere that conscience is the result of prejudice yet i know from my experience that it insists upon following the order of nature in opposition to all the laws of men here we have complete subjectivism individualism and anarchism End of footnote. or at least my error will be my own and i shall be less depraved by following my own illusions than by trusting to their lies imagine all your philosophers ancient and modern having first exhausted their grotesque systems of force chance fatality necessity animated world living matter and materialism of every sort and after them the illustrious clark explaining the world 
proclaiming at last the being of beings and the dispenser of things with what universal admiration with what unanimous applause would this system have been received a system so grand so consoling so sublime so calculated to uplift the soul to furnish a foundation for virtue and at the same time so luminous so simple and it seems to me offering fewer things incomprehensible to the human mind than there are absurdities in any other system having thus within myself the love of truth as my only philosophy as my only method an easy and simple rule which relieves me from the vain subtlety of arguments i resumed in accordance with this rule the examination of those parts of knowledge which interested me being determined to accept as evident all those to which in the sincerity of my heart i could not refuse my assent as true all those that might seem to me to have a necessary connection with the former and to leave all the rest uncertain without either rejecting or accepting them and without bothering myself to explain them seeing that they lead to nothing useful in practice footnote it requires considerable philosophy to find out what is a necessary connection and what necessary means End of footnote. proceeding on the lines of descartes rousseau comes to this i exist and i have senses through which i am affected footnote yes but what is the meaning of i exist senses affected to tell that requires a subtle philosophy End of footnote. this is the first truth that strikes me and to which i am forced to assent it would be vain to waste time on these crudities they are not due to any accurate thinking or to any real enlightened desire for the truth but to an effort to justify a lazy intellectual habit in behalf of a foregone scheme of sensuous unsocial life if sectarian beliefs are a matter of geography these emotional prejudices are matters of both geography and individual temperament neither rousseau's acquaintance helvetius nor any singalese buddhist would have found any difficulty in refusing assent to rousseau's self-evident truths he may well be spoken of as a mystic voluptuary quenching all wonder with omnipotence praising a name with indolent piety we are interested in his scheme only because it furnishes the method by which a meal is to be led to religion to that view of higher things supposed to be necessary for the direction of his passions and imagination by developing the natural says rousseau we have been able to control his nascent sensibility by cultivating the reason we have regulated it intellectual objects moderated the expression of sensible objects by rising to the principle of things we have withdrawn him from the dominion of the senses it was a simple matter to rise from the study of nature to the search for its author the recently unimaginative unreflective emile being thus daily sentimentalized will be very unlike other youths you always imagine him says rousseau like your young men always heedless always petulant flighty wandering from fete to fete from amusement to amusement without being able to adhere to anything you will laugh to see me make a contemplative being a philosopher a true theologian out of an ardent quick high-tempered high-spirited young man at the most ebullient time of his life footnote if he had submitted to this indignity rousseau would have disowned him i comparing my pupil with yours find that they can hardly have anything in common yours think they escape from childhood only by shaking off all sort of yoke they then make up for the long constraint to which they have been subjected as a prisoner does who when delivered from his fetters puts forth shakes and bends his limbs emile on the contrary is proud to become a man and to submit to the yoke of nascent reason his body already formed has no need of the old movements and begins to stop of itself whilst his mind half developed now in turn seeks to soar thus while the age of reason is for the former the age of license it becomes for the latter the age of reasoning 
but in spite of all efforts to drain off into side channels the rising tide of sexual instinct the time at last comes when this can no longer be done from this moment says rousseau your ward though still your disciple is no longer your pupil he is your friend he is a man treat him henceforth as such hitherto you have got nothing from him except by force or wiles authority and the law of duty were unknown to him he had to be forced or duped before he would obey you in order to guide an adult you must do the very opposite of all that you have done in order to guide a child in accordance with this emile is now to be informed of all that has been hitherto concealed from him the purpose and method of his past education the dupery that has been practised on him the course he has to pursue in the future and the perils that await him especially those arising from his own passions in regard to these he is now to receive clear and earnest instruction to protect him from passion suggested imaginings he is to be withdrawn from all lonely sedentary lazy occupations as well as from the society of women and young men and made to engage in vigorous pursuits such as hunting which will not only occupy his mind but tire out his body at the same time the sexual relation is in various ways to be surrounded with a halo of sacramental awe as the portal to supreme bliss thereupon says rousseau i will call the eternal being whose work he is to attest the truth of my words i will make him judge between emile and me i will mark the place where we are the rocks the woods the mountains that surround us as monuments of his pledges and mine i will throw into my eyes my voice my gestures the enthusiasm and the ardour with which i wish to inspire him then i shall speak and he will listen to me i shall melt and he will be moved by thus suffusing myself with the sanctity of my duties i shall render his more worthy of respect i shall strengthen and animate my reasoning with images and figures i shall not be prolix and diffuse in cold maxims but abounding in overflowing feelings my reason will be grave and sententious but my heart will never have said enough then in showing him all that i have done for him i shall show him that i have done it for myself footnote the tutor it must be remembered gives his services gratuitously End of footnote. he will see in my tender affection the reason of all my care what surprise what agitation i shall cause him by this sudden change of language instead of belittling his soul by continually talking to him about his own interests i shall henceforth talk to him of mine and i shall touch him more deeply i shall inflame his young heart with all the feelings of friendship generosity and gratitude which i have already called forth and which are so sweet to nourish i shall press him to my bosom shedding over him tears of tenderness i shall say to him you are my property my child my work from your happiness i expect mine if you frustrate my hopes you steal twenty years of my life and you cause the unhappiness of my declining years it is in this way that one can make a young man listen to him and engrave on the bottom of his heart the remembrance of what one says to him alas for emile if he can be caught by any such lachrymose discharge as this it is needless to say that it is at once ungenerous and immoral as all attempt to guide a human being by any other motive than moral insight always is if emile were properly educated he would repel all such suggestions with scornful indignation or if he had any sense of humour with pitying laughter instead of this he is made to reply o oh, my friend my protector my master resume the authority which you propose to lay down at the moment when it was most necessary that you should retain it thus far you have possessed it only through my weakness now you shall possess it through my will and it will be all the more sacred to me for that reason defend me from all the enemies that assail me and especially from those that i carry within myself and that betray me watch over your work that it may remain worthy of you i wish to obey your laws i wish it always it is my constant will 
if ever i disobey you it will be in spite of myself make me free by protecting me against my passions which do me violence save me from being their slave and compel me to be my own master by obeying not my senses but my reason emile having thus like a coward voluntarily renounced his moral autonomy for the sake of being protected from himself reverts once more to automatism to be sure says rousseau i leave him the semblance of independence but his subjection to me is more complete than ever because he wishes it to be so so long as i could not make myself master of his will i remained master of his body now i sometimes leave him to himself because i always govern him when i leave him i embrace him and say in a confident tone emile i entrust you to my friend i commit you to his upright heart he will be responsible to me for you on the very next page however he says do not leave him alone day or night sleep at the very least in his room see that he does not go to bed until he is overcome with sleep and that he gets up as soon as he awakes in this state of complete tutelage his imagination is to be filled with fairy tales of his future spouse and glowing descriptions of the idyllic life of love that is in store for him and her footnote here is rousseau's notion of love what is true love itself but chimera lie illusion we love far more the image which we form than the object to which we apply it if we saw the object of our love exactly as it is there would be no more love in the world End of footnote. such fanciful pictures will destroy in him all taste for real women until he can be induced to believe that he has met one corresponding to his chimera in order that he may do this he is now for the first time to be introduced into society and rousseau draws a vivid contrast between him in his noble savage simplicity and absence of self-consciousness and the ordinary youth of his time with his vanity and veneer of politeness in this connection he quotes from his friend duclos a few sentences which may here be transcribed the most unfortunate effect of ordinary politeness is that it teaches the art of dispensing with the virtues which it imitates let education inspire us with humanity and kindliness and we shall either have politeness or else no need for it if we have not that politeness which is marked by the graces we shall have that which marks the upright man and the citizen we shall not need to have recourse to falseness instead of being artificial in order to please it will be enough to be kind instead of being false in order to flatter others it will be enough to be indulgent those with whom we stand in such relations will be neither puffed up with pride nor corrupted they will only be grateful and become better emile thrown into society will one does not see how find himself completely at home in it and will at once earn respect and confidence although he have no brilliant qualities in studying men he will often have occasion to reflect on what flatters or shocks the human heart and so he will find himself philosophizing on the principles of taste a study suitable for this stage in his career rousseau's aesthetic theory is delightfully simple the further we go in search of definitions of taste he says the further we go astray taste is simply the faculty of judging what pleases or displeases the greater number taste depends at bottom on innate sensibility but three conditions are necessary for its cultivation first one must live in numerous societies in order to make many comparisons second there must be societies devoted to amusement and indolence for in societies devoted to business the rule is not pleasure but interest third there must be societies in which the inequality of conditions is not too great and in which pleasure rather than vanity prevails where this is not the case fashion stifles taste and people seek no longer what pleases but what distinguishes in seeking to cultivate his taste that is the art of pleasing emile will look to nature rather than to culture 
there is at present no civilized place in the world where the general taste is worse than in paris those who guide us are the artists the great the rich and what guides them is their interest or their vanity the rich in order to display their riches and the others in order to profit thereby vie with one another in seeking out new means of expense in this way excessive luxury establishes its empire and makes people love what is difficult and costly then the pretended beautiful far from imitating nature is beautiful only because it thwarts nature this is why luxury and bad taste are inseparable wherever taste is expensive it is false but it is chiefly in the intercourse between the two sexes that taste good or bad is formed consult woman's taste in physical things things dependent on the judgment of the senses men's and things moral dependent on the judgment of the understanding inasmuch as it is necessary to please men in order to serve them and the art of writing is anything but a useless study when it is employed to make them listen to the truth emile will now study the best literary models and especially the works of the ancients in eloquence in poetry and in every species of literature as well as in history he will find them abounding in things and sober in judgment whereas our authors speak much and say little in view of this he will now learn latin greek and italian latin he must learn in order to know french well these studies will now be amusements for him and he will profit by them all the more that he is not forced to them he will thus go back to the sources of pure literature and learn to despise the sewerage in the reservoirs of modern compilers journals translations dictionaries he will cast a glance at all that and bid it good-bye forever as to the babblings of academies they will merely be fun to him my principal object says rousseau in conclusion in teaching him to feel and love the beautiful in all its forms is to fix his affections and his tastes to prevent his natural appetites from degenerating and himself from one day seeking in his riches the means of happiness which he ought to find nearer home having thus become acquainted with society and learnt the art of pleasing emil is now at last in a position to look out for a wife in good earnest therefore good-bye paris famous city city of noise smoke and mud where the women no longer believe in honour nor the men in virtue good-bye paris we are in quest of love happiness innocence we shall never be far enough from you lest we should misunderstand the meaning of these last words rousseau has taken care in the closing pages of this book to give us his own ideal of life it is simply that of an accomplished voluptuary whose aim is to get as much real pleasure volupte réelle as possible out of life and who therefore avoids everything that would entail envy strife and unpleasantness all formalities that would cause tedium and all excesses that would diminish the power of sensual enjoyment he tells us indeed that he is here speaking not of moral possessions which relate to the dispositions of the soul but to those of sensuality and real pleasure in which prejudice and opinion have no part we know however through his confessions and otherwise that morality meant nothing to him but a careful calculation of the possibilities of undisturbed sensual enjoyment we may fairly conclude therefore that the aim of emil's education thus far has been to prepare him not for a life of earnest determined moral struggle and self-sacrifice but for a life of quiet cleanly assured sensuous delight not for a life of active enterprise but for a life of passive dalliance End of chapter eight